Hi, everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the True Crime Podcast, where we focus on local San Diego cases. I am your host, Renette, and today I have a very special guest, Bobby, or most know him as Oz. Oz, why don't you introduce yourself and tell us what you currently do? Sure. Um, Thank you for having me here today. Um, My name is Oz Cruz, and uh, as you mentioned, I also go by Bobby. Um, Growing up, uh, everybody called me Bobby, Mm -hmm. and uh, up until law enforcement time started, probably around 99 and 2000, um, then uh, people started kind of shortening my legal name Mm -hmm. and uh, just called me Oz, so everybody as in law enforcement knows me as Oz Cruz. Okay. A um, little bit about me. Um, I grew up in Los Angeles. Um, I was a East LA kid. Okay. Uh, moved out to the San Fernando Valley area. And um, up until about high school, I moved out to Chula Vista High School, pursuing the a uh, football dream of playing in the NFL that never <laughs> happened um, but I went to uh, Chula Vista High School and kind of stuck you know, stayed here in, in Chula Vista um, I worked in uh, different aspects of uh, different fields mm-hmm. and everything kind of kept pointing me in law enforcement and eventually um, after many attempts was hired uh, by the sheriff's department as a corrections deputy back mm-hmm. in 1999. Um, was a corrections deputy for about a year, working at uh, one of our local um, jails. And a year later, I was hired by Chula Vista uh, Police Department, great agency. And I was with them for about 15 years, worked uh, patrol, canine officer, uh, was promoted, eventually became a detective. And I've worked homicide detective. Yeah, eventually homicide. Okay. Um, I worked child abuse, sexual assault, domestic violence, elder abuse, robbery, homicide, and gangs. Um, so almost everything except property crimes. Um, and uh, was with them for about fifteen years. And uh, then I went over to a, another agency I'm currently with, and have been there ever since. Okay, and right now, what's that title? So right now, I'm a supervisor uh, for uh, investigators in the gang unit. Um, And just to touch base, um, because of the agency that I currently work for, uh, they have asked me not to um, speak about what agency I currently work for. You'll obviously, uh, your your listeners will figure it out. but it's only because uh, I'm not here as a representative of that, of that agency. Right. Um, so I'm just here to talk about my experience. Um, I can't talk about current cases, but I run a gang unit uh, of investigators. Not a gang unit, but uh, <laughs> uh, a unit of investigators that, and we focus in on gangs uh, here in San Diego. And so I've been doing that for uh, the last year. Okay, so what made you get into that line of work? You know, I mean, because you wanted to be an NFL star and that didn't work out. So, yeah. So, I, you know, I was a decent uh, football player and got some offers, but I didn't go that route. Um, that's a great question because I think it's twofold. I, I really started focusing in as an adult, but as a kid, I, I just always wanted to be a cop and I forgot about that, I guess, in, in a certain way. I just, never pursued it Mm -hmm. and I thought I was more business minded and I thought you could only either you're here or you're there um now I do both you Mm -hmm. know now I'm in law enforcement but I own 
couple of businesses. Oh, but okay. at that time, uh, I, I thought you had to be one way or another. So uh, I've had a, uh, an interest in law enforcement since I was a little kid. Um, and then when I went to college, I focused on business. And um, I was... Uh, I worked for Blockbuster Video, if you guys remember those, yeah. And so I eventually, I started as a cashier and made it all the way to corporate office. And then they moved that corporate office. I went back to the stores as a store manager. And so I ran a bunch of the stores. And one of the things I was asked to do is fix those stores and stop the theft. Mm Mm-hmm. And so um, I did, you know, um, I would focus in on, on shoplifters, uh, unfortunately got into a lot of fights. Yeah. And uh, most of the stores I managed were in Chula Vista and Chula Vista was always coming. And I was really impressed by the officers every time I met them. It was just like, I enjoyed working with the officers. And I said, I want, you know, that's re- what I want to do. And so I started applying um with uh, several agencies, Sheriff's Department, uh, San Diego Police, and Chula. Um, But I really wanted to work for Chula Vista. To Mm -hmm. me, they were, uh, I don't know, they just always seemed like a a, more of an elite department Mm -hmm. for some reason to me. And so I always wanted to work. And um, I got denied like three or four times by Chula Vista Police. Yeah, I I, um, went through the interview process and kind of was told, no, we don't think you have what it takes kind of. And uh, denied about three to four times. Um, and so I gave it up for a few years. I mm-hmm. gave it up for a few years. And um, then I had my first daughter, Brianna, who's sitting right here next to me. Mm-hmm. And um, I pursued that again. And so I went all the way down. At that time, there was um, like a freeze, basically. And I, I decided to apply with LAPD and uh, applied with LAPD, was offered a job. And then I looked back at my daughter and said, I don't want her growing up in L.A. I I left L.A. for a reason. So I that was a hard decision because I finally had that door open. Mm -hmm. And all I had to do is step through it and say, yes, they were waiting for me to sign this agreement. And I said no. And instead, I waited, um, eventually got hired by the sheriff's department. And then uh, a year later, I got the opportunity to go to Chile, and uh, ever since then, my my career's just taken off. So it's just a reminder to people to don't give up. Don't give up. You're don't give up. No. Yeah, and and um, you know, I I'm always willing to help out individuals that want to get into law enforcement. We need mm-hmm. good people, and so I'm open to that and helping out any of your listeners that have questions. Um, you know, they can reach out to me, uh, Oz Cruz on LinkedIn, and. Uh, You'll find where I work at, I guess, yeah. uh, once you go there. and um, But I'm always willing to help out. But yeah, um, don't give up. And even though you get told uh, three or four times no from a specific location that you want to do or anything you want to do, um, just keep trying. And, you know, I, funny story is uh, two of those detectives that interviewed me mm-hmm. and said, you don't have what it takes. Seven years later, I'm their supervisor. No way. <laughs> and and, and uh, I reminded them of that every time I, I got a chance. Of course you do. Right, right. <laughs> so um, it, it happens. So keep trying. Yeah. So then what's a typical day um, to what you do? For me? So um, 
right now it's a lot of reading. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot of reading. We have a lot of gang cases that are coming through, um, and I'm consistently um, reviewing cases um, and assigning them to our detectives. Um, our detectives have multiple cases. They're, each detective is probably running about 40 different cases that they're uh, actively working on. And uh, we work with multiple agencies in the county of San Diego. Mm -hmm. Um, So San Diego, Chula Vista, National City, La Mesa, um, even the college campuses, UCSD. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're working with them, guiding them on the cases, um, doing search warrants, um, and um, going out and looking for individuals. So it constantly changes. Um, My wife will ask me, hey, what do you got this week? Um, And I don't know. Uh, yeah. it's, I, I could walk in and it can be a slow day or it could just be go, go, go. And it tends to always end up as a go, go, go. Yeah. Um, so it, it varies, but we, we do a lot of things. Um, we're involved with multiple agencies. And so we, we keep it fun. And mm-hmm. uh, it's, uh, it's a great uh, position to be in. Um, as a detective, when I was at Chula Vista, you know, I knew my cases. And every Monday, I just had a new batch of cases. And uh, I worked those cases. And like I said, it's a lot of reading, trying to figure out what's going on, and then re-interviewing people. And, so uh, when you were in Chula Vista, mm-hmm. and since that was like your hometown, did you ever get a case where you know, it's put on your desk and you're like, oh, wait, I know this person? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> a lot. And uh, if, um, if, I, any, if, if and when that happened, um, I would basically trade with my partner, you know, oh, okay. or partners. Do you have um, to tell like your higher up, like, hey, I actually know this person? Yeah, to, to a certain extent. I mean, it, you know, if, if, if it's a victim, um, I can provide some information to that other detective. But if it's a suspect that we arrested, yeah, um, definitely. I, from there, what I would do is I would go up to the supervisor and in charge of that unit and say, hey, I know this individual. Um, I should not be working this case assign it to whoever you want okay. um, because that way there was no question of like oh you gave it to your partner who right. was I didn't want that and so it, I made it very clear um, and then those cases were either shielded from me um, or I, I just made an effort not to be involved in those cases okay. and it happened it happened frequently Okay, so back in your homicide days, what was the most um, gruesome scene that you've been to? You know, before I left Chula Vista, we did some stats um, on how many cases I had um, been a part of uh, from either as a patrol officer or to full investigation. And um, when I left, I was at 17,000 cases. Wow. Um, So the there's so many cases um, that I can recall and, and a lot of them which shocked me at that time were gruesome until you get to the next one and then that one it was the next one um, I think the one that impacted me the most because it somewhat hit close to home um, was um, the murder suicide of uh, multiple kids out in Bonita where oh, I never even... uh, where um, the uh, dad ended up um, basically killing his sons and then uh, set the house on fire. And, what year uh, was that? Was I want to like say no. I, I, um, I was probably around two thousand. 
2010, 2010. And, um, and so I had the crime scene mm -hmm. and, um, we had to notify, um, the mom and the mom, uh, was separated from, um, the dad or divorced. They were divorced. And, um, at that time they, they, they wanted the mo the mom had shown up and they had asked me to transport the mom back to the police department so we could start the interview process uh -huh. and uh, media was there um it was it was a crazy uh scene and uh i had to transport mom who, who obviously i mean can you imagine finding out your your kids were murdered literally can't and, imagine and, and the house is burned down yeah. you know and uh it took a while because fire department responded as a fire mm -hmm. and during putting out that fire they said whoa we got some bodies here oh my god hold it and then patrol goes out there and then patrol goes yes it's crime scene and then the phone calls are made and then we're notified and then our team has to get it takes us about an hour to get there and then we're notified and we're finding out like how many bodies do we have mm -hmm. who lives here and then trying to notify, is anyone survival, uh, survived? Well, yes. And and so we find out who the mom is, and I transport the mom back to the police department. Come to find out that um, the mom is uh, has a daughter, and the daughter is uh, my daughter's best friend. Oh, my God. And so um, that hit home. Yes. And... Uh, where do I work? You know, do do I pull away? Mm -hmm. Do I not pull away? Um, I have a rapport now. I have something to add to the case. And so I have to notify everyone of how I'm involved, but I can help in the case. And so I stayed on the case. But that one stuck with me. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, um, most officers don't live in the city. That they work it's kind of a unwritten rule mm -hmm. um i did and because of that um I, I think it actually helped me be a better cop yeah i think so yeah okay um so there's been such a rise in drug related deaths and communities are ruined by them don't you ever wonder if these communities would benefit if resources were spent on rehabs and recovery uh rather than I guess like the war on drugs approach the criminal aspect or the mm -hmm. prosecution of it yeah you know there's throughout my career i i did a lot of things of looking outside the box i created different programs um, by looking outside the box like domestic violence um and um realized that police prosecution we should be involved in not just the criminal aspect of it and the prosecution and the process of it, but in different avenues of it. And so to answer your question, I do. I think um, there's a separation. You know, it's it, 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 at some point in the case, it hits a fork and it either goes rehab or prosecution. Which one? Pick one. Yeah. And so if it goes in the direction of prosecution, law enforcement is involved, the DA's office is involved. And we don't, if it goes in the other direction, we just kind of let the courts hear it and then we back out. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And I don't think we should be doing that. I think we need to be involved in both aspects. Yes. Um, because if we're involved in both aspects, we have, I mean, when when you've been a cop for, you know, I've been a cop for 23 years. I have something to bring to the table. I have some something to connect with, with that individual that I can actually help that individual. So to a certain extent, I, I'm not an addict, but I have the experience dealing with hundreds of and i've seen what happens and so i can bring that to the table to have a conversation to be a mentor to be a guide to be a resource Mm -hmm. and what happens is we we get separated completely and so uh, if if it doesn't go to the left you know where prosecution um and jail time and law enforcement then it goes to the rehab part. We're not involved in that as much. Mm-hmm. And I think we need to. I think um, to a certain aspect, we do it wrong. Yeah. Because I have, uh, I know somebody who was recently trying to get into a rehab, and this was the first time this person really wanted to do it on their own uh, without feeling like they were doing it for their family, you know? Um, and this person was called different places, and um, this person that I know doesn't have a job. And so, uh, she doesn't have like health insurance and she couldn't find anything like right at that moment like the soonest I think was like mid-November and it's just like so I just felt so sad for her because she's finally looking to get some health and she she can't go get the help that she really like needs right now right um, yeah and there's so many resources out there that are great that aren't involved with the courts yeah and we just focus on those resources that are involved with the courts and they may not be the best Mm-hmm. There, there's other programs that are much better and we're not involved in. And because we're not involved or the courts are tied into it, we can't really touch it, right? Yeah. And so, like I said, you know, I, I'm not not afraid to say we do it wrong because I've, I, you know, I going back and I don't mean to change the subject, but I'm it's the same concept. Back in 2007, I wrote an article and I presented it to my chief as part of my promotion process of... Um, how law enforcement handles domestic violence wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, four years later, five years later, I got the opportunity to get a grant. And That's we, amazing. We did, thank you. It took, I mean, it took years and years of pitching the idea. Yeah. Um, but we got a grant in Chula Vista, and I was able to put those ideas of like, okay, we're doing it wrong. Here's how we're going to do it different. Mm-hmm. And let's see if it worked. And it was a scientific project where we had to bring in a counselor from North Carolina um, that would study the stats to make sure it stayed. Prof- uh, uh, it was a scientific project okay. and not so much uh, kind of, well, yeah, it kind of worked. And they measured those stats. And we were able to decrease repeat domestic violence after this program was implemented for two years by, in Chula Vista by 25%. Wow, that's great. And uh, it ended up winning an international award. And, and now I've actually flown out to different police departments to teach them how to do it. Oh, okay. And so I, you know, my, the phrase... That's got to feel so good. It does. It's great because before I left Chula Vista, I sat down with the new chief and I said, before I leave chief... Um, I'm going to create, and I named it. It was the Dart program, domestic abuse response team. Okay. And I'm going to, I'm going to create a Dart team. Um, and I had the opportunity to create that team. And a year later, I left Chula Vista, went to this other agency, and I was able to see the impact of that. And so, 
that's what I mean about thinking outside the box. Like right now with your question in regards to, that's why I was saying same concept. Like mm-hmm. we, we, we only do things certain ways. We kind of throw in some different ideas, but we really need to back, back away and just go, just tell ourselves we're doing it wrong. So yeah. let's try to figure out how to do it right. So uh, what is the longest interrogation you've ever done? I've heard uh, the reason that interrogations are mostly successful is because those being interrogated, they're in a small room for like at least three or four hours, probably even more. And so it just kind of like messes with their mind and they start losing it a little. Um, How true is that? Um, How true is that? That's a great question. That and so you, I, I see you've so kind like of thinking of like yeah. Stephen Avery case. Yeah, and <laughs> yeah. you know, um, my longest uh, interview slash interrogation. Um, we were talking about this a couple of months ago. Um, for me, it was five hours. Okay. Five hours. There was breaks in between, um, obviously, but uh, you know because I'm getting more details, um, and. Um, it it changes it goes through different cycles like at first the individual doesn't want to talk mm-hmm. and then at some point you start building a rapport and um some places have looked at it that is like well you're you're trying to trick them like i got hungry during the the interrogation yeah <laughs> i got hungry i was like are you hungry yeah i'm starving what do you want mm-hmm. uh, can I get a burger? Yeah, from where? And I was thinking like in and out or something. I was yeah. like, Burger King? And I'm like, I haven't had a Whopper in years, but okay. <laughs> Let's see if one of our guys. And it's not a trick. I'm not trying to give them something as a benefit, although defense may look at it that way. And yeah. they're going to bring it up in court, believe me. Yeah. Me being giving them a Whopper is going to be brought up in court as a benefit. <laughs> so I, I literally have to save the receipt. I have to write it into my report because they will look at it as a benefit or, or, or that I was trying to bribe the individual. Mm-hmm. Come on, we got to eat, right? Yeah. Heck, I'm going to eat. Yeah. So, um, so it goes through different phases. And um, have I had an individual that says, fine, I'll tell you what you want to hear. Yes, I've had I've had that happen to me. Yeah, and uh, I was um, knowledgeable enough, um, experienced enough to say that's that doesn't sound good. That's not, and so I had to remind them. I don't want you to tell me what you think I want to hear. I want you to tell me the truth. Mm-hmm. And have I had? F- are you asking if I've had false confessions? No, just like how longest, like yeah. a, a, the your longest interrogation was, and if you think there's any truth that they're successful because you keep them in that tiny room and you're just like grilling them for hours, and they're maybe sometimes they're brought in at two in the morning and it's like six in the morning and they still haven't slept, and you know, do you think can can you get someone to say certain things? Uh, Sure, if you were to put someone in a room for 12 hours, I'm sure you could, you know, you fine, you know. So do you go in there, like, aggressive? What's your interrogation technique? Like, how do you go? Do you go in acting like you're a friend, or are you just kind of, like, you know, stern? How do you pretend you're interrogating me on how many cups of coffee I've had today? <laughs> so I'm not going to talk about coffee. I'm going to talk about different things. 
Really? I'm gonna I'm gonna start off by asking you the basic questions. I'm filling out this form. What's your first name? What's your last name? Do you have kids? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, something that that works for me is tying into that person. So when you start telling me about your kids, I'm okay with telling you about a little bit about my kids. If you start talking about how you're involved in sports, I'm gonna tie that in. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna have some different things, and we're gonna talk about kind of your day, what happened today, and so forth, and then. You know, um, I'm going to talk about different things. And then eventually, before you can think of it, we're talking about how many cups of coffee. And that was the whole purpose of me sitting down with you, right? To find out. But by the time we're talking about it, you forgot that that was why I was here. Yeah. We're just having a conversation. Does it get um, confrontational at times? It can. Mm -hmm. You know, it can. Um... I I uh, I remembered I remember interviewing a pimp one day, and uh, he started losing it and started getting aggressive. And I think it was nine p.m. Mm-hmm. And I realized everybody was out of the office because we were interviewing upstairs in our uh, investigation um, interview room. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any backup. Oh, everybody shit. was gone. Nobody. And I'm like, did I? Did I have anyone cover me on this? Like watching on the outside yeah. cameras too, right? No, it was just recording, but nobody's there. Yeah. And I'm like, if I get into a fight uh, right now, who's going to know? Probably, it's a great learning experience that, that you know, I'll never do that again. Yeah. But I did. You know, I went down and pulled the guy up and interviewed him, and I just, I just didn't tell my partners. Mm-hmm. And I had to take over control, you know. It was like, and so... He raised his voice, and I took my voice up to the next level. And and I remember grabbing, you know, he's reaching for a Gatorade ball, and I snatched it and uh, away. And I'm like, you better, you know, and I can't remember what I said. Basically, calm. You better need to calm down. Yeah. You know, and and he took it down, and then I was able to just have a conversation with him again. And so we have to be in control mm-hmm. of that um, process to a certain extent. But we have to be careful yeah. to not, I don't, I'm not trying to lead you to say something. I just want you to tell me the truth. Yeah. And so when you're saying something to me and you're telling me, well, then it's followed by why, mm-hmm. you know, why did you do that? Why did you feel you needed to do that? Like, why did you need three cups of coffee? I don't know, but I was really tired today. and I- <laughs> You know, and so we'll talk about that. And yeah. so next thing you know is you give it up and you don't even realize you did. Yeah. So, okay. Another question from an Instagram follower is, um, how far has a woman gone to get out of a ticket? (laughs) 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 Don't roll your eyes, Brie. Um, you know, uh, so I'm in training and, um, I stop a car. I remember this um, because it was the first time it ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, Steve Guthrie uh, is my FTL, uh, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. And um, he, we pull over this car, and it's this uh, female. And I walk up, and she obviously does not want a ticket. Yeah. And... Uh, and I remember walking away, 
And Steve was so experienced. He was a traffic cop for years, and he was like the traffic cop. Mm-hmm. And he told me, when you walk back, um, her blouse is going to be more revealing, guaranteed. <laughs> and that came out of the blue, like, what? And he says, yeah, I guarantee you. And so we walk up, and sure enough. And uh, I was more in shock that he was able to kind of like predict the future. Yeah. I think I let her go. <laughs> I think I can't remember. I was more in shock. I was, I was more in shock about what he predicted yeah. rather than what she was trying to do. Um, that was the very first time, but yes, I've been asked, uh, I I've had many people try to get out of a ticket by offering much, many things. Has anyone ever said like, Oh my God, officer, I'm so sorry. Like, I have diarrhea right now. Like, I'm trying to hurry up and get home. Or, like, I'm on my cycle and I just started. Like, anything like that? You know, I wish I had something good like that. I, I, can't, I can't recall any, anything like that other than we did have um, a off-duty officer once well, who um, was speeding and uh, did poop his pants. And uh, <laughs> when you gotta go, you gotta go. He couldn't make it home. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, he wasn't about to go to uh, the bathroom and, and at work for some reason. And, and he was, um, and I delayed him, uh, but he had pooped his pants before I even stopped him. Poor guy. So, um, yeah, I knew Probably that. knew I, it was I, I like diarrhea and the noises and the sounds that were gonna come oh, in the bathroom. Goodness. But yeah, I. I uh, yeah, you know, I wish I had some great stories like that. I just, I've had some funny ones, like, you know, offering me different things or or um, trying to um, get out of it. Um, I had a female um, training officer or, uh, who told me, um, she said, you know, the pretty girls always seem to get away because you guys let them go. Um and so pretty girls get a ticket, in my opinion. I'm like, oh, that's not fair either, right? Yeah. You know. So, but uh, no, uh, I. Other than that, no. Uh, that was that was kind of disgusting, but yeah. 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 <laughs> okay, so um, the 1970s and 1980s were the so-called golden years for serial killers. Um, do you think that due to better forensics, um, we're no longer in those like so-called golden years? Um, because I feel like it's a lot easier to get caught these days. I'm not saying that there's not serial killers active today. There are, but do you think the police's guards are up so much? Um, so they're like paying more attention to people disappearing because like in the 1970s when John Wayne Gacy murdered, I think it was like 33 uh, guys, um, you know, the police at that time thought it was just children running away from home. Right, right. Um, so do you think that, um, do you think that, what do you think about that, about like the whole golden age? And so I, I think the, the, the changes that have happened have made an impact on that. Mm-hmm. For example, um, agencies didn't share information. So um, are, are most of your listeners here from San Diego? Mm-hmm. Okay, so yeah. they kind of understand the structure of, of, of the county. And I'm going to use Chula Vista as an example. Back in the days, Chula Vista didn't share information with National City. Um, and 
National City didn't share with San Diego. And so it was, you know, like our officers knew what was going on in our city. We had no idea what was going on in National City. That's not mm-hmm. our city. Yeah. Right. So when, when we have two kids missing in Chula Vista, National City didn't hear about that. And so that's how I think a lot of these were happening because okay. we weren't sharing information. And so once we started sharing information, that became a, a better resource to kind of stop, uh, put a stop to those things. Number one. Mm-hmm. Number two was um, we, we just got better. We got better at investigations, um, you know, DNA uh, kind of coming in and uh, just better overall uh, in regards to those that I think we've somewhat put a stop to them early on uh, from serial killers really becoming a serial killer. I mean, you know, we we solve a good amount of homicides, Um, you know, but um, I... I, uh, other than that, I, I just don't know. I, I, you know, you're right. There was a, a huge amount of serial killers uh, back in the day versus yeah. now. Um, I, on the other aspect of it, you know, psychologically, what's kind of happening out there? I, I don't know. I don't know why um, we, we've been lucky, knock on wood, um, that that hasn't continued. But I think part of it is law enforcement, the changes we've made. Um, yeah. You know, when, when a kid goes missing... Um, officers are are concerned. Yeah, you know they're concerned, and right away looking at it for two for twofold. Um, I as a supervisor, I'm going to make sure. In the back in the day, it was like ah, maybe he ran away. Mm-hmm. You know, blah blah. Call us back after a certain time. We'll take a report. Nowadays, if you're an officer and you don't take that report, you're in trouble. Oh, that's good. You're in trouble. That's and good. You, not only are you in trouble, I mean, you're you're like the likelihood of you getting uh, written up, suspended to a certain extent is very uh, high. And now you're looking at liability issues because yeah. what if that child does come up missing or, or killed and you didn't do the basic part of starting that investigation or taking that report? the department's going to get sued. You're going to get sued. And guess what? I'm your supervisor and I should have realized that. So I'm going to be attached to that. So um, there's different avenues of that. You know, the pressure of us being sued has also, I think, increased. And and I know that doesn't sound great, but but the reality is it's now a lot of pressure from different aspects that these things get done and they get worked right away. Yeah. Um, and if you have a little kid that is missing, um, there's been times I, you know, when I was in patrol, uh, we'd go to roll call and then they'd say, Hey, we have a seven year old that is missing. Don't go to roll call, go straight out to this location. We're holding every single call, unless it's a major 911 call, we're holding all calls, but all resources. And we'd have 20 plus officers out there and we'd be doing grid searches right oh, away. That's great. That didn't happen in the ba- back in the day. Yeah. You took a report and it got filed and it just kind of went there. Now, now it's taken. Re- I mean, we have the helicopter up. You'll see the signs on right. the freeways right. too, like yeah. you know, child yeah. adopted. Yeah. This is the license plate number, Absolutely. so that's good. So I think those all those things that we've made these changes, I think, have made an impact on that. Yeah. Okay, so um, I've I've watched. Uh, Many videos on TV where body language experts are brought in to analyze a case or a person's interrogation. Um, I've even came across an article 
um, I don't remember which one, but uh, anyways, where the police is, um, the police confession experts describe ways to tell if a subject is lying, such as eye contact, um, the timing of a response to a question, etc. Um, and like this book I have right here, uh, I finished reading this book uh, by Joe Navarro, an ex FBI agent, called "What Everybody Is Saying," and it's. Um, Supposed to help you read people. Do you think that body language can be useful in evaluating whether somebody's telling the truth or not? A hundred percent. Really? Yeah, a hundred percent. I I pay attention to it um, immediately. You know, yeah. um, in Keep everything. You know, wh- whether whether we're doing an interview, whether we're doing an interrogation, or I'm just having a conversation. And yeah. I use it in all the aspects. Like I mentioned, you know, I have a couple of businesses. And so yeah. even in, in sales and, and, and running, you know, that conversation, if I kind of start going somewhere and, you know, it's not the air conditioning isn't blowing or any you know that would make a person kind of make those movements and yeah. it's just all of a sudden boom there's a shift in a movement in the back of my mind i'm like why did that happen what did i just say you know yeah. and so i pay attention to those during interrogation a hundred percent yeah a hundred percent when i interrogate you you have nothing in front of you to fidget with. Yeah. So you handed me this this um, bottle of water, um, very standard. Like, hey, do you want some water? You know, um, I would um, pour some water into a cup and give you some water before we sat down. But when we would walk in, I w- wouldn't have this in front of you. You know why? It's because this is what I saw all the time. As they start getting nervous, they start playing with it. I and they're releasing. Like I notice when I'm nervous, I go. <laughs> and they're releasing tension. I don't want you to release tension. I don't. I don't want you. You know about the only way you're gonna kind of release tension is you moving your foot, which I'm gonna see consistently. Uh, which I was doing. Yeah. Right? You know, but as you're nervous, you have to release some some tension, right? I don't want you to release it. You know how I want you to release it? Tell me the truth. Bree, you poor thing. What about when you did like? So we have uh, Bobby's daughter, Brianna, here. How, how did that make you feel, Bri? Like, go ahead. I just got really good at lying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah. No, I, I knew that I couldn't get away with anything, essentially. Yeah. Especially, like, in high school and stuff. That's why I never snuck out. I never lied. Never did drugs. Yeah. <laughs> I was, like, super clean, so. Yeah. Bri was pretty good yeah pretty good and i didn't I th- have a choice though. i think i scared her and and uh yeah. we we talked earlier uh you know it was like i think my job um made an impact on her yeah on her growing up yeah and um i can't speak for her that's something that she would have to answer but yeah. um definitely i think that you know the things that i saw um made a decision as a parent of things that i did and it it had to have impacted her. I, so, so do you? Are you grateful now, then, Bree, that you had that growing up? Because you said earlier that you, like, your dad didn't remember, but like when you were in middle school, you seen photos of like decapitated heads, and you were not allowed to sleep anywhere unless your mom and dad knew that parent and knew their your friend's dad and whatnot. Yeah, I think I I just had a very different perspective compared to most of my friends. Yeah. Um, I was, like, a lot more aware of things going on in the world. Yeah. So, 
Like I, I just told you last night, I just went to the local Walmart and I noticed I was being followed around. Yeah. Most people wouldn't even acknowledge that, but I was already on alert and it helped me through college. It helped me through high school. Um, I had multiple friends, unfortunately, when I was in high school that felt comfortable coming to me because they knew I was aware of these things in the world that had been sexually assaulted, had been raped as children, had been in domestic abuse relationships of some sort but yeah I was just always aware like I like I said I never snuck out because I was like what if something happened my parents wouldn't know where I was wouldn't know where to find me things could go bad like Mm -hmm. essentially so it was just like this different like awareness that I really had compared to most people yeah Yeah. and now and I had rules rules that were I had rules that kind of um were in stone them and so she knew before she asked hey can i stay over she kind of knew those rules ahead of time Mm -hmm. like you mentioned earlier you know if like um, my wife and i needed to um know the parents and what i mean no is like hey we've gone out to dinner we've hung out i know you by you know not just name. a high hello yeah. and bye yeah if i've just waved at you that's not me knowing you yeah and so uh brie would be with her friends and they're like hey you want to stay over and she's like mm, you know i i don't know what you would say but it, it, it wouldn't even <laughs> it wouldn't even come to me yeah because she knew uh, that i had to know those individuals and i hope that made kept her safe but like I said, uh, she probably didn't have as many sleepovers as she probably wanted to um, because of these these hard rules. And and then sometimes I'd overreact. I, I recognize that now. Yeah. You know, um, I had a, uh, when I was in family protection, I had a, uh, a rape case mm-hmm. uh, up at the uh, Regal Theater up in Chula Vista. Mm-hmm. This young girl went out with all her schoolmates or a bunch of her school friends, went to the Regal Theater walked down to the Burger King that's over by the Costco mm-hmm. and some kids got picked up and started leaving and a few stuck around and a couple of guys took advantage of this girl and walked her over towards the bushes and um, you know ended up raping her wow. and uh, I get called out and I have to interview um, this girl after she has all these tests done to her and I'm with her for the next 12 hours mm-hmm. And she's Bree's age, and um, and I'm, she's telling me the whole story, and I now have to put this case together and figure out everything, you know, and, and start working on this case. Um, a couple of weeks later, um, her mom calls me and says, "Hey, uh, Bree's gonna go to the movies. Where? At the Regal over on East Stage. She's gonna w- go with some of her friends." And then probably afterwards, just grab some food down at Burger King. That was an immediate trigger for me. Mm-hmm. My response was no, yeah. no, she's not going. Try to understand that as a junior high kid. So did that bother you though? Like when when that would happen? Like, um, I think he he wouldn't tell me like the exact case, obviously, because it was happening at the time. Yeah, but. I was aware of just things going on and so I knew there had to be a reason there was always a reason it was never I was never told you can't do something just because yeah so I knew there was a reason it was frustrating as a kid like you want to go hang out with your friends your friends don't have those rules they can go here they can go there 
but I knew there was a reason. Yeah. And so I just didn't even question it because I'm like, I don't want to get into it. I yeah. don't want to even know anything that's going on. But yeah, I mean, it was hard, but it did get to a certain point where we did have to have that talk. You know, yeah. um, like he said, I was in middle school. That was a lot of his cases. Yeah. Um, my sister was even younger. So if he had anything younger, it would apply to her. And I think to ha- having two daughters in that field is yeah, it's scary. not easy. Yeah. And so, like he said, he did overreact at times. And it got to this point where I was having no social life because everything maybe applied to some case that he had at one point. Yeah. But I think it's something like you appreciate now mm-hmm. because you're like aware and, you know, I, I wish I had something like that. I think that's great. Yeah. So an Instagram follower messaged me and asked, is there any particular case that you're proudest of solving with your team? There's a lot of cases. I'm, I'm you know, I, I'm, I'm lucky that to have a job career that I genuinely love. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, that I can say I have saved lives and impacted lives. Um, and so that gives me a lot of gratitude um, and keeps me going to the next case because 23 years in law enforcement of doing this, at some point you want to just enough is enough you yeah. know and um but you got to reach in i call it the cookie jar you reach into that cookie jar right and you like no i i helped a person so maybe i can help another person and maybe i can help another person yeah um there's one case that really sticks with me um and this probably happened back in 2008 so it stuck with me since then mm-hmm. um i was uh, a detective in the family protection unit uh handling child abuse um and sexual assaults and a uh, patrol officer comes up to my desk and says hey um, i have a mom that has two kids downstairs um she doesn't know what to do there's no crime that's happened, but I just don't know how to help. And she just went to the police looking for help? Looking for help. Two two daughters. So one was 10 and one was six. Mm-hmm. Um, a, you know, a difference of four years old. You and your sister are six years apart. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, God, that's almost like my daughter's. Like yeah. everything came back to my family, right? Yeah. That's how, I think that's what made me drive of like, what if that was my family? Yeah. So this officer has got nothing for me. He's like, um, yeah, she just needs someone to talk to. And and um, I, I guess her daughter wanted to commit suicide, the 10-year-old. Oh, my God. And so I'm like, mm, what am I going to do? You know? So, um, sorry, this has some um, flashbacks of that. Um, so... I go down. I go down there and uh, meet with the mom and the two little girls, and they remind me of of, uh, Brianna and Ileana. And so I talk to mom, and I go, what's going on? Mm -hmm. And um, she shows me this this, uh, letter, and it says, help me, on the outside. And inside is a um, suicide note by the 10-year-old. 10-year-old wanted to commit suicide. And she would not open up to anyone. So mom goes on to explain, I took my daughter to 
the my doctor and he immediately told me to go to a psychologist. So I came down to Third Avenue where this medical building is mm-hmm. and I spoke to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist met with my daughter this morning to try to figure out why she wants to commit suicide and she can't get it out of her. And I, she's like, I don't know what else to do. Maybe I get a sense that something has happened to her. Maybe you should get the police involved. Mm-hmm. And that's why she's here. And that's all I got. And I'm like, what's my role in this? Like, what do I do, mm-hmm. you know? And so I went in there and told myself, you're talking to Brianna. And so I went in and talked to this 10-year-old little girl. And we didn't talk about the problem. We talked about different things. Like, we talked about cheerleading because my girls were cheering at that time. Like, we talked about shows that I knew my daughters watched. Mm -hmm. We talked about all these different things. And here is this big, scary guy, right, with a gun on his side and 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 a badge. And I had to take that fear away from her so she could get to talk to me. And she ends up telling me, the reason I want to kill myself is because my grandpa has been um, having sex with my little daughter, uh, my my little sister. Oh, my God. And she told me and told me not to tell anyone. I don't want to tell my parents because I don't want to break up the family. That is so heavy. And so here we have a, you know... A little girl under five years old, you know, around that age, and how do I talk to her? And so we have um, we have counselors now that do forensic uh, interviews. We call them forensic interviews. That's perfect for that. Mm-hmm. Like I would get this little girl and take her in to a specialist who knows exactly how to speak to these kids and ask open-ended questions, you know, so there's no, you know, oh, you guided this child to say something. Mm-hmm. But I had to help her. And so um, I went upstairs and told my supervisor, Here's what I got. I want to interview this little girl. And um, and he says, you're not going to get anything out of this little girl. She's she's too young. She's not going to she's not going to open up to you. You know, and I'm like, well, what do we do? We wait, you know, a couple of days to schedule a forensic interview. And then we, no, yeah. I want to do it now. And so we brought the family upstairs and I had the two daughter, two little girls sit in the room with me. And the older sister says, um, he's here to help us. Tell him To the little sister? Tell him everything. And she walks out. And the little girl told me everything. And she just opened up and told me exactly. I mean, it was probably the most detailed interview I've had. Because she, it, it was traumatic for her. Mm-hmm. And she's telling me everything. But she trusted me. Because big sister said to trust it's okay yeah he's here to help us and so um that my team really helped me on that because i i you know it 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 hit home you know even now my eyes water a little bit because Mm -hmm. i still remember that that was 2008 um and so um we did we arrested uh grandpa good um 
I used the same tactics. I talked to you about your coffee mm-hmm. and got him to give me a full confession. And he gave me a cool, uh, full confession. Uh, he looked me in my eyes and told me he was not going to um, fight this in court. And he was going to plead guilty, which never happens. You know, it's like yeah. that topic normally doesn't come up, but that came from him. And uh, and I thought we were done. I thought he was going to plead guilty. And then he gets an attorney and we go to court. Wow. And um, he forces his um, granddaughters to testify. And the granddaughter um, runs out of the courtroom. And I'm outside waiting to testify. And she runs out. And she was so fast that nobody paid attention. De- the deputy wasn't even in position to stop her. She ran out of the courtroom. And I'm outside. And, and she just jumped into my hands like my little girls used to do before oh, I go to work. Man. And we took a break. And the grandpa realized, oh, I can't do this to them. And so he pled guilty. Yeah, immediately changed his plea. I accepted everything he did, pled guilty. Um, and so um, they wrote me a little um, card that I kept on my desk. That was every day I'd see it, and that was for me to keep going. Um, and years later, I'm on a patrol, and uh, we're with this guy, and he has to call his sister because he's a little intoxicated. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, I, I, I never kept up with the girls. Mm-hmm. I always wondered what happened to them. And so here I am years later uh, in patrol. And this guy who's a little intoxicated, we decided to call his sister to come pick him up. And he's scared because mm-hmm. his older sister is going to chew him out. Yeah. And the older sister comes out of the car and uh, she comes walking up. And I've always considered myself being very tactically sound and safe. Uh, keeping the distance from everybody. Before I knew it, she had me in a bear hug. And she it was, she remembered it was the mom. It was the mom. And the mom, she, of- the mom of the girls. Wow. And she hugged me. And I I had my hands. You ever given a bear hug and you get the person and their hands are straight down? Yes. That's how she got me. Oh, you know, because I wasn't prepared for that. She rushed me all of a sudden and gave me this bear hug, and my hands are trapped. In, and my partner's going, "Whoa, what's up? Who's this?" Yeah, you know. And uh, she gives, she goes, and I didn't recognize her. And she's like, "You're Detective Cruz," and I go, "Yeah." And then she reminds me who she is, and she called her daughters um, on the phone. They were getting ready to go to school, and uh, they thanked me, and they. Uh, um, and so that's what keeps you going. That is Stuff an, like that. an amazing story. So um, when you want to give up, when you're tired of these cases, when you get frustrated, um, those are the cookie jars that I, I, I reach back in and say, keep going. You, like, there was something about you that made this young girl, well, both young girls, like, feel comfortable and safe with you. Like, that's amazing. Who knows? Not every officer could have done that. There was something about you. And I think the fact that you have Bree and Ileana, and they were, like, so close to your, your daughter's ages, it just really makes you put right. yourself in that position. Like, what would I want someone to do if that was, like, my daughter's, like... Right, right. Yeah. And so, you know, I uh, I did family protection for, for a few years, Um I always wanted to go into homicide, so I went into homicide eventually and uh, ran the gang unit over there. Um, 
but something kept pulling me back to like family protection type cases mm -hmm. and and I always wanted to do robbery, homicide, gangs. That was the elite position. Yeah. Once I did it, I'm like, no, I want to go back over there. Yeah. And so I did that uh, successfully for quite a few years. And then when I got the opportunity to go back to family protection, I did. Yeah. And, um, you know, and so now, now I, uh, I don't know. Uh, I, I enjoy both. I do, you know, I have tons of homicide cases. Uh, and whenever there's a domestic violence type of homicide or anything like that, you know, I'm on those specifically. Those are the ones I, I really want to kind of be involved in and kind of make an Solve. impact. Yeah. Yeah. You worked or work in the gang unit, right? Correct. I think the gangs probably knew you guys too besides like the gang officers like the gangs knew who right who you guys were so um i i just imagine that you were probably like kind of kind of like a homie to like some of them in a way like i feel like most probably wouldn't say a word to you but were there ever some where they were actually like really nice to you and like maybe even honest like oh hey what's up bobby like you know, were any of them like that with you? This oh, yeah. might be a ridiculous question. No, I mean, no. It was something I thought it, of. It's a great question because that's the only way you're going to get information. Yeah. You know, and um, that's exactly what would happen. Um, some of the some of the gangsters out there knew you by name. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I treated them with respect. You know, it was like with respect until you you take away that disrespect and 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 becomes but we always came back to it like yeah. there was individuals sometimes you know back in the days like we'd line individuals up and you know when we were you know stopped the big group and someone would always mouthing off and that individual you know we would go and you know to a certain extent make an example out of them nothing no use of force or anything uh, but i'd put them in the car and have them chill out and then afterwards i'd come back and say Okay, let's start from zero again. Yeah. I'm going to give you that respect, but you need to give me that respect back. And are we good? And he's like, yeah. And so that went miles because I didn't treat them with disrespect. Yeah. It may have not made an impact at that moment, but the next time they saw me, hey, what's up? What's up, Officer Cruz? Hey, yeah. what's going on? Hey, I... We had this uh, shooting happen over there. I know it's not gang related, but do you? Yeah, you should look into so and so. Yeah, stuff like that. That yeah. would happen. That's what makes a good gang detective or good gang officer is having that rapport and just having that. Now they're not going to snitch on their own right. guys sometimes because a lot of times they do. Yeah. Um. But when something's when a crime that has happened that's dirty and that shouldn't have been or towards a kid, those guys are going to tell you. Yeah. You know, and so, um, yeah, you, you have to you have to have that relationship with them. And uh, they, they, you know, to the outside person, they're like, are you guys homies? No, we're not homies because yeah. we would never hang out. Right. You know, but um, but on the street, they recognize, you know, like you had a job to do. Sometimes we're, there was fights, yeah, and then they're like, oh, "You won that fight, we're good." Yeah, you know, it was weird. It was, uh, it was like that was their job, and this was ours, and we both recognized it, and then at the end, we're good. Yeah. 
So now you work in the stocking unit, right? So I did prior to, so I was promoted back in February. Prior to that, I, I uh, ran the stocking unit for, in the county of San Diego for our agency. And I did that for about four years. Okay. Um, so I was the main investigator for all stocking cases in San Diego. Okay, so um, so what is the best tips for staying safe if someone were stalking you? Like, what would you want to make sure that Bree, Eliana, or any of your friends knew? Um, great question. The, you know, the stalking is, is can be, it's separated in two different aspects, at least for law enforcement. It is stranger on stranger, where someone's stalking you that you don't know, mm-hmm. or it's an ex-boyfriend, mm-hmm. ex-husband, ex-something, right? And those typically, 90% of the stalking is usually past relationship. Yeah. Um, one of the things I would suggest, because I do this, the first time I'd meet with them, we'd go over, and those are long interviews, because I want to hear the whole relationship. Can you imagine me sitting you down and starting from, when did you start dating? Yeah. And then, I mean, we're going to spend a couple hours. Yeah. Um, so we're going to go through all that. And um, one of the things that, I mean, critical, like if your listeners have anyone that they think is stalking them or they have a boyfriend that just, they, the, an ex-boyfriend that, you know, is kind of on the verge, or even if you don't, like this is the number one thing to do. We're creatures of habit, mm-hmm. right? We use passwords over and over and over, right? Mm-hmm. For different things. I have yeah. the same password for this, this, and this. Same, yeah. Your password for your um, like iCloud account. Um, I, I have an iPhone, so but like if your Google account, um, you know, because you have a uh, uh, Android, yeah. um, that should be completely different. Nobody should know that. Yeah. Because here's here's what happens: is you and I are in a relationship. I eventually figure out all your passwords, mm-hmm. right? I know your passwords. We're good. Yeah. At some point, we break it off. I, f- I know that your iCloud account is, you know, Oz1234. Yeah. I'm going to go on there and I'm going to create a secondary uh, email. So every time you change your password, I get an alert. Oh, I, I never even thought of Right, so yeah. you you th- you you're figuring out like how's he track? I mean, let me change my password. I change your you change your password. I get an alert. I find out what your password is. Okay, so I constantly can go find my iPhone and know where you're at. Yeah. So that is the biggest thing. So change your iCloud account. Change your Android Google um uh, um um password, mm-hmm. and that should be something completely different, hard to break. Only you remember it. Don't write it down. Um, and that's the tip. That's the number one reason, a way that most of these guys are following their exes. Yeah. It's because they have access to it. Um, and that, you know, now now we have a bunch of other tracking devices. I've found trackers in cars. Really? I've found phones thrown in there. They'll get a burner phone and um, attach it to the battery of their car so it's powered all the time. And then they stick it in, you know, over by underneath one of the tire wells. And so every time you turn on car, it's, it's being powered. And I, I just find my iPhone, you know. Yeah. And so there's different ways. But that's the number one way um, okay. that I would suggest doing that. Um, and then most of my victims are embarrassed. 
that they're being stalked. Mm-hmm. And so they don't tell their friends. Yeah. They, they just want to keep it secret, mm-hmm. you know, and they don't tell their parents. They don't tell their friends. Um, they feel foolish that they should have done something. They didn't do it. Or maybe they're re- overreacting because it's a mind game. Yeah. And uh, so they don't tell others. Mm-hmm. That's probably the biggest mistake that uh, I see. Yeah. Is like, tell others. So others, when they see it and you tell them, they can kind of not slap you around, but wake you up yeah. and say, no, 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 that's wrong. Yeah. That needs to stop. Or that's a crime. You need to report that to the police. No, it's okay. No, you need to report it. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many of my cases, I would sit them down for hours. Like I'd have two cases in front of me, but I knew there was much more. So yeah. I, I interview them from the very beginning and I start writing down. And as they're telling me, I'm like, oh, that's a crime. When did yeah. that happen? Oh, that happened two years ago? Oh, I can still arrest him for that. Yeah. Okay, and then what happened? Oh, that happened? Okay, that's another crime. And then what I do is I just write those all up so we have additional crimes. And now we go after that individual with all these additional crimes. Yeah. Um, But they've never told anyone. And it gets really hard to prosecute those things when you have no evidence. It's your word against that other person's. And sometimes they take pictures like, oh yeah, he beat me up on this day and I didn't tell anyone. Do you have pictures of that? Yeah, I do. Oh, really? You took it? Yeah, I have pictures here. Oh, well, send me that picture, you know, because that picture captured all this uh, uh, metadata on there. Yeah. I can tell where you took that picture. I can tell what angle you took that picture. I can tell you when you took that picture. So all that's included in there, which helps us cooperate. Yeah. You know, Renette, you told me on this date and you took a picture and I did research and the evidence shows that that picture was taken that same day. Yeah. So tell people. Yeah. Um, I remember reading somewhere that most stalkers think that they're the victim or, you know, like it's the other person's fault that they're doing it. It's a manipulation game. Yeah. It's a manipulation game without a doubt. So is domestic violence. Mm-hmm. That's why I say we handle domestic violence wrong. Yeah. But it's a total manipulation game. I can't tell you how many victims recant because they believe, you know, okay, yeah, he punched me in the face, but he punched me in the face because I didn't listen. Yeah. I should have known. And then that the suspect plays that role of the victim you know, it's like, well, you made me do it. So I'm the real victim. You know how, you know, that made me feel and so forth. And it just becomes a reality to both sides. Mm-hmm. And when you have friends that you're telling, your friends are snapping you out and like going, what? It's not your fault. Yeah. No, you don't deserve to get punched in the face because, it, you know, you did this simple. You didn't have, you know, food ready on Tuesday after, you know, it's like yeah. whatever. And so... Um, when you tell friends, you know, they, most victims don't want to tell their friends because their friends are telling them the reality and how things are. And they're not living in that world. They're living in that suspect's world. And so they just need to be grounded more. And the only way you get grounded is by telling friends that snap you out of it. Yeah. And you're going to lose some friends because some friends really, you know, it's like, I told you, I told, I just can't be a part of that anymore. And they start backing away. Yeah. But eventually when you wake up, they'll still be there for you. Yeah. How much of the internet stalking is unacceptable with like, uh, without being creepy? So Google, 
It's a thing. Um, I'm a property manager in downtown, and a lot of times when I have a prospective tenant, I will Google and try to find out information on them or try to find like their Facebook or their socials. Yeah. Just get an idea of like who the heck is trying to rent from me. Sure. Um, so, you know, it's easy to find people online. You can even get home addresses. Um, there's this really like cool abandoned house down the street. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just call it the creepy house. Um, but it's like, I found out it was like a retired dentist that lived there and him and his wife got divorced and she moved to Coronado and he stayed in that house and he kind of just did nothing with that house. But I found like his phone number, just like everything. Uh, So some things are, you know, quite easy to find. What do you think is acceptable in this day and age without being a creep? Um, God, I think that, well, are you talking legally? Was that creepy of what I did? Well, um, kind of. No. (laughs) (laughs) But, but yeah, you know that's you're you're inquisitive in 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 most of the things mm-hmm. I, I gather, and so you want to find out more and more and more mm-hmm. uh, about that. Um, you know, with the internet now, all that's available, and you just kind of you go down that rabbit hole and kind of start looking. But um, I don't think it. Honestly, I guess it doesn't get creepy until you start creeping out that person. You yeah. know, um, legally. There, I mean, there's no issues there. You know, a lot of people I hear, I'm being stalked um, by this individual. And so we tend to use, we, you know, in society, we tend to use the word stalking in one form, but I have to remind myself stalking is in the legal form. Yeah. And so there's a difference, like someone reaching out to you and calling you or, 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 or you're just like doing this stuff, you you know, that person could say they're being stalked, but the legal term of stalking is someone that repeatedly is following you, contacting you, and makes a threat to, to harm you. Oh, okay. So I have this person that reached out to me and um, was saying that basically that they can tell I have really pretty feet. It was so weird. I told you about it, right, Bree? And... Um, but he found, I think it was like the true crime trivia page that I do, like I host at three punks once a month. And, you know, he was saying that and I was like, well, and none of the pictures that are on my page, like you don't see my feet. And then I thought, well, maybe he goes to the true crime trivias and he's seen my feet before um, because they are quite nice. So just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but I thought like, um, okay, maybe he's seen my feet before, but I'm like, no, I'm always wearing like co- these like Sam Edelman, like big combat boots. So he can't see my feet. And I thought that was weird. And I just ignored that message. Um, and then like a week le- later, it was just saying like, you know, I pay money. Uh, and was just saying all this stuff. Like that's not stalking. It's until he actually says like, you know, Unless you show me your feet or send me a photo of your feet. Right, <laughs> right. Yeah, that's more harassment, Yeah, if anything. Yeah, okay. That's more harassment on a legal definition. Um, technically not stalking if he's listening. Uh, yeah. That doesn't mean it can't get there, you know. It, it, it can be implied to certain things that, you know, the, depending on what he says and, and how you start um, changing your course. Like if you just start going there and you stop doing this and you start, you know, you right. start changing your phone number because he gets your phone number, stuff like that. Then to a certain, there's other crimes without yeah. a doubt. But the word stalking is, we in society use it in one way um, and forget about the harassment and other aspects where 
with us, we have legal definitions. Like it has to meet these legal definitions to be a stalking crime. Doesn't mean that there's not other crimes. It's yeah. just not stalking. So okay. Um, so I'm I'm careful in regards to that when people are like he's stalking me well you know and and i hate telling people uh, you're not being stalked yeah but i do have to be you know i do have to tell them that because they're like why aren't you filing stalking charges it doesn't meet the criteria yeah you know so um but yeah that's i think there's um and this is like probably not even related but there's this group on facebook and it's called rv dating the same guy san diego have you heard of it brianna okay so it's really cool um Obviously, I'm married, and so I'm not dating, but I just, like, joined it because I thought, like, well, shit, let me see if any of my tenants are on there or if anybody that I know (laughs) is, like, you know, on there. So I joined this group, and it's just women posting pictures of, like, a guy. So there could be a picture, like, of, you know, a pretend Sal, my husband, and, like, you know, hey, I've been talking to this guy on Tinder for a couple weeks and he wants to meet up for a coffee. Does anyone have any tea on him? And it's so crazy how, like, you will see, like, um, oh, like, just, like, the horror stories that you hear. Like, watch out. Like, he uh, love bombs you. I didn't even know what that word meant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, love bombs you and, like, was just saying all this stuff or you'll find someone, like, this is a picture of my husband. I'm really nervous about posting this, but, like, I've just been, he's been acting differently lately. He's been working out a lot more than normal. He's, like, actually wearing, like, cologne. You know, please tell me none of you guys have came across him and you can see, like, so it's just so crazy how, like, social media and stuff, like, how, um, people can, like, females can, like, rally together to, like, catch these guys or really, like, get a sense on who they're about to date. And it's really good because, um, there's some of them that was like, hey, like, if you're ever going to go on a date, private message me and I'll give you my number and maybe you can text me like hey I'm about to go he's he just picked me up at 7 30 right now um and then text me when you get back and like you can share your location and if I don't hear from you or anything well then like who do you want me to reach out to like I don't know there's just a lot that's, of great that's things. really interesting you know yeah. and and going back to one of your previous questions like with you know serial murders and and serial rapists Things like that kind of make an impact to kind of put a stop to those things, you know. Um, You know, Jeffrey Dahmer is a a big thing right now because of Netflix, Netflix. right? Yeah. And so you look at all those cases and there was no communication happening, right? No. It's a small community, but nobody's sharing that information, you know, and law enforcement kind of, they didn't know how to handle certain things and they kind of backed away from those and they minimized these. That's another aspect. Yeah. So... Those things have changed. So um, social media like this, I mean, can be helpful. It can be destructive at times, you know, where one guy basically gets, you know, blacklisted because he just didn't work out with one. And then some person is blacklisted and saying, you know, making up all these different profiles. I could see that happening, too. Yeah. So um, there's, you know, but I probably that would happen much less than the other part. And so what's it called again? Um, are we dating the same guy, San Diego, but there's like different, like Austin, Texas, like everywhere. They're everywhere. And it's, you can like spend, are you on it? Yeah. Have you ever spent like hours and hours just on it? Really? Yeah. There was one person. Yeah. I was guilty of posting once anonymously a picture of somebody that I know, um, for another person. (laughs) And yeah, I got back some wild responses. Really? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think social media it, is great for that sort of stuff because right. like um, for like 
Maya Milietti case, yes. like the local case, um, you know, when she went, you know, missing, uh, there was a whole, but a whole group created that was like, you know, their, um, what is it? What do you call like, just to like, kind of like support the family. And I went on just one of like the searches for her and stuff. And the sister was telling me on the, the search that I went, just like how grateful she is for social media because the community like really came together to help her right. and her family and they're just like not giving up and they're still searching for her and stuff like that so I don't know I just think social media it can be bad in some ways like maybe now like kids are just spending too much time on TikTok instead of doing like other stuff but like when there's major things you know people missing and the case goes cold or whatever like it can really um rally people together and we all be we're all kind of like armchair detectives and trying to like solve this case or bring this uh person justice yeah i i agree you know with the maya case i can't go into too much of that Mm because we are in my agency is in is involved in that Mm -hmm. um but um one aspect of that is um we in law enforcement really need to recognize and realize that that's that is happening those social media groups are uh, communicating and um, rather than alienating, alienating that and, and separating, um, I think what you're, gonna, what you're going to see in the future is one detective is going to be assigned to be that representative of working with social media and groups and seeing because some in, good information can come from there that yeah that you know heck we got a hundred other detectives or playing detectives you know some of it's good some of it's bad information you know and quite honestly in my experience a lot of it's been bad information but sometimes there's that nugget in there yeah. that we didn't get and so we need to be involved in that so just like I told you when we go out to a crime scene, hey, you have the crime scene, hey, you have the witnesses, yeah. hey, you have the neighborhood checks, hey, you're going to do the interrogation, somebody's got now going to be involved with, hey, any social media group that starts off, you're our rep, you're going to yeah. be contact. And so I see that happening very, very soon, moving towards the future. For anyone interested in um, of getting into your line of work, what do you recommend them doing? Like, is there a certain, when they go to college, is there a certain, um, should they, because you went for business, but right. maybe it was different back then. Right, right. right. So my, agree, my degree is in accounting, believe it or not. Oh, okay. And so, um, you know, I, I went that aspect. So um, a lot of people, th- I hear this a lot is like, hey, my degree is in something else. It's not in criminal justice. You know, how do I get involved or do I have to go take criminal justice classes again? So no. Um, the the short answer is no. Okay? okay, but if you're headed in that direction, taking criminal justice courses and so forth, that's even better. Yeah, you know that's going to help you understand our system in in, in whole. Um, and uh, certain agencies, depending on their requirements, a lot of agencies don't require um, a, a college degree. Mm-hmm. Uh, some are going towards that. So the, the because you know we're we're looking for the best of the best, and so it just depends on the agency that you're applying. Um, the one of the things that I I suggest to everybody is if you're thinking of going into law enforcement, don't make the mistake that I made in regards to saying. That's the only agency I want to work for. Yeah, put yourself out there and and, the and, st- and and apply 
everywhere you'd be willing to work at. Okay. Because there's this uh, there's this thought process of if I apply at ten agencies, that's going to make me look bad because that's like you don't want to work here. You, you know, yeah, you're right, and that's what we want. Like it's competitive right now. Mm-hmm. Like we're we're having trouble finding, especially right now. Like who wants to go into law enforcement? Yeah, you know. So yeah. it's 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 tough. But I tell you what, it's the most honorable job. Um, I, I, I don't have any doubts that I went down this path because of the impacts that I've made. And, um, and so apply, apply everywhere you're willing to work. Don't apply where you're not willing to work. If you're not okay. willing to work in LAPD because you live in San Diego and you don't, not willing to, don't apply, Yeah, you know, yeah. um, but apply, you know, it's okay to apply to multiple agencies at the same time. And then see who comes. Um, so that's that's another thing. Um, get healthy. Yeah. Uh, stay in shape. Um, I I know weed right now is 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 legal, mm-hmm. um, but you're sitting in front of me, and I'm trying to decide the best person. And I have someone that um, you know has been smoking weed in the last year versus someone that's not. Guess where I'm going to go? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So, you know, it it impedes it. I can't tell you how many officers have been fired in the past for, you know, like getting involved, you know, because it's not, you're not allowed to, it's legal, right? Yeah. It's not federally legal, but um, statewide it's legal. As a cop, you can't smoke weed. Yeah. And so um, we fired officers for, for smoking weed. And so at least at Chula Vista, you know, each agency can be different and, yeah. and you know, find out exactly. But get healthy. Um, get your uh, get your finances squared away because yeah. we do look at finances, believe oh, it or not. Okay. You know, not necessarily like you have to have this credit score, but we don't want all these delinquent statements. Like if you're not paying off your bills and you have delinquent, that's part of your background. We're going to look at that. Yeah, too. it's part of your character. Yeah. So we're going to say no. Plus, we don't want a, to put an officer that's going to be going to houses where were you know tons of cash right, right. so we want to minimize all the possibilities um and so um get your finances squared away if you're in debt you're in debt but pay pay your bills on time pay your yeah. minimum bills on time um put that weed away and 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 stop that you know and any other drugs that you got going on uh get in shape and uh and and start looking for resources like you like i said you know you can find me on linkedin oz cruz and um and uh i i always enjoy kind of guiding individuals that are good candidates okay. like if you're gang banging and all this yeah. and you, forget it don't even reach out yeah you know but if you're if you're like hey how do i get into this and then here's the other thing Make smart decisions right now. Yeah. Don't put yourself in in a in a terrible position. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a true story. So I had a godson that really wanted to go into law enforcement, mm-hmm. and um, he he lived in uh, Marietta, mm-hmm. and wanted to go into law enforcement. Was always overweight from when he was a little kid, mm-hmm. and said, okay, time to lose this weight. And he got into phenomenal shape, uh, incredible shape, right? Uh-huh. Uh, that was his only drawback. So yeah. it he had to wait till it shed over 150 pounds, yeah. you know, to get into something that was reasonable. Um, he moved out 
of his house um, and moved in with a couple of friends. No problem there, right? He's showing some responsibility, so forth. He didn't drink. He was a designated driver. All good things, right? Yeah. Okay. So he goes to this party and he's a designated driver and he's like, okay, time to go, time to go, guys. Let's go, let's go. And he's trying to corral everybody to go and they're some people are going to go to another after party mm-hmm. so they're like come on let's go there and he's like no let's just go home no just, come on let's just go fine i'll be the designated driver still a good thing yeah he gets in his car and the people that he's driving get in his car that he's chauffeuring around get in his car plus one this other person is part of that other group and they're like, hey, we're going to race down there. You know, let's go, you know, let's get involved in this race and everything. And he sits in the back seat, no seat belt on, right? And he's the one that's like, come on, come on, come on, come on. And um, and um, so my godson at some point feels the pressure and starts racing. Crashes. The guy in the seat that was pushing and instigating everything um, got thrown out the windshield and was killed. Oh my God. My godson basically was uh, convicted for manslaughter. Manslaughter. And so there goes his entire career. He was God. doing everything he was go- trying to do to head down that path, mm-hmm. doing everything right, made one bad decision by getting involved with you know individuals that put the wrong pressure on him and uh, someone lost their life. And uh, his entire career is is gone. His his path is gone because of that. So, it it, it you know, just make right, good decisions. Surround yeah. yourself around people that are going to encourage you and do the right things. And understand when you say like, "Hey, have a drink." No, I can't remember. I'm trying to get into the law enforcement. Yeah. Ah, uh, you're right, man. I support you. Yeah. Not versus, hey, come on. One drink's not going to hurt. Yeah. So surround yourself. I lost a lot of good friends when I went into law enforcement. Bree, I think you remember you know, some of my friends I couldn't talk to anymore. Yeah. And uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah. You know, so um, that. And then, you know, find a mentor. Find a mentor that's going to, you know, be able to kind of guide you through that steps. You know, the interview process. The interview process is a little different, which is why I failed. I, I kept going through my interviews thinking I was applying for a business job. And, and the way to answer is really little, much different. It's about yeah. community. It's about, you know, uh, other things. And I was answering in a uh, business format or oh, mindset okay. and so at least that's what i think that was the initial part but prove them wrong eventually right yeah yeah so <laughs> now you're some of those, yeah, their yeah. supervisors yeah so um that's th- those are the 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 few parts that i think um you know and and you're never too old to start yeah i got hired at 30 yeah because of you know, I told you I kept applying, applying, and then forget, forgot about it, and then, um, and then came back. Um, Bree was with me. I'll never forget this. Um, I had a PO box mm-hmm. over at the post office. I know you don't remember because I was still carrying you in my hands. Um, and I went to the PO box to open up the letter. This was the letter that said whether I was going moving on or not. Yeah. And I had told myself, "This is it." If it's a no, I, I'm giving up on the stream. Yeah. And I'm holding Brie in my hand. And I remember, hey, kiss this envelope um, for good luck. And she kisses it, right? And so I opened it and I moved on. 
you know? And yeah. so um, that, just don't quit. Yeah. Keep going. Yeah. My last and final question, what are some of the most important skills for like a police officer, someone wanting to get into law enforcement to have? Just if, if you're an individual that can make quick decisions, um, you know, and that uh, multitask, you know, those are some of the basic skills. If you're an individual that you just can't decide, you can't make a decision to save your life, mm-hmm. um, that's going to have to change yeah. because uh, we wear many hats. When we get a call, we, we can go from a call of neighbors fighting to anything else, yeah. right? And so when we get there, we have to resolve the problem. Yeah. And we don't have a lot. We got, you know, a few minutes to do it because we got the next call pending. You got, you know, officers that are asking for assistance and, you know, you got a car crash down the street. Yeah. So we're going from call to call to call to call. And every, that's what I loved about patrol is like every call was different. I listened and, to the and police I was like, scanner. Oh, I, 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 <laughs> I, I, I enjoyed it. Bree got to go to a couple of ride-alongs with me. Oh, really? And when she was, right before I left, Chula, I think we broke up some of her friends parties to a certain extent you know and were, you, were you so embarrassed <laughs> and then i had a canine office a canine with dog. me and he was he was just vicious and crazy dog um but loved him i mean he saved my life multiple times i'm sure brianna's um, dog is more vicious and wild and crazy. <laughs> but but um you know, but you're multitasking, you know, you're getting the call, you're uh, answering on the radio, you're reading the screen as you're driving, you're figuring out how you're going to approach this, you're fi- you're yeah. thinking about who's my partners, who's going to take the lead, who's going to take the secondary part, how did that, oh, have I bon- gone to this house before? Oh, yes, I have. What was this individual's name? Oh, let me try to look him up yeah. before I get, you're doing all these different, you're preparing. Um, before you get there you're visualizing this whole thing so you have you do have to be fast on your feet yeah and make these decisions you have to be able to relate to people and communicate if it you know um and and, and uh i think those things are kind of keys can you learn all that absolutely yeah absolutely but when you get out of the academy uh, just because you graduate, you go through a six-month academy uh-huh. here in, in San Diego. It's at the Regional Academy. It's over at Miramar College. Everybody that's hired in uh, for local law enforcement goes to the same academy. So you have this big academy with people from multiple agencies. And then when you get hired, you uh, once you graduate, you go back to your own agency. Uh, and you have about six months of training. Mm-hmm. That's your make it or break it. Yeah. Just because you graduated from the academy doesn't mean you made it. You got to prove yourself in the next six months, and you got to get through all these obstacles, and uh, and you know it's nerve wracking. Can you imagine like you you have your training officer sitting next to you? At some point, they let you drive. At first, you don't drive. Yeah. But at some point, you drive, and they're critiquing everything. Like yeah. Even the way you're driving. You know, I had um, um, Michelle Schneider. I'm going to throw you out there. My, she was one of my uh, trainees, and she was so nervous that I remember we were down here off of K Street and she came to a stop sign and we're waiting and we're waiting and we're waiting and I'm like, what are you waiting for? And she's like, I was waiting for it to turn green because <laughs> a stop sign. 
she was so nervous yeah. she like and i'm like and i was chill i was like one of the chill guys like yeah. you know just don't get me killed you know yeah. and so she was like she's like you're so intimidating blah blah, blah. and i'm like oh this is nothing because when i went through it it was hardcore yeah it was hardcore like i didn't you know you didn't have a name yeah. uh you were called boot every trainee was called boot you lost your name so you're just i don't know why a boot yeah you know, but you were called boot you didn't you didn't socialize with any of the other officers you were excluded at lunchtime you said it was weird Jeez. you know it was like paramilitary you know yeah. um that doesn't happen anymore you, you know? get pepper sprayed and taser too right yeah, uh, you don't okay so yes well luckily we don't get shot yeah. but pepper spray yes you get pepper sprayed um and you have to fight through it um and then you get tased uh well and the taser is a little bit different like some of one person uh will volunteer to actually get tased but the rest of them we actually feel it by holding both sides of the prongs um and uh and so you feel what it what it feels like so yeah uh, my, one of my that. tenants is a police officer for the san diego police department and he showed me a video of there was like an officer on each side and they were tasing oh, him yeah. and you just see him like shaking through it yeah like a, you just lock up everything yeah. imagine just getting tense every muscle in your body gets tense at the same time and uncontrollable yeah and so it to a certain point it's painful it's not like direct pain but it's pain that because everything's locking up yeah so uh it's a great tool well uh bobby thank you so much for uh coming here thanks to you and all the men and women of law enforcement thank you for keeping us safe i appreciate you taking the time to come and chat with me Absolutely. a million thank yous if any of the listeners would like to suggest a local san diego case please feel free to reach out to me on my instagram page it's true crime podcast it's spelled t-r-u space c-r-y-m podcast thank you for listening bye bye